Well, today we are going to talk about sin. And, uh, you know, most people nowadays, when you say, I'm going to preach about sin, you get two reactions, either an eye roll or a fist pump. Culture wants to give an eye roll because the culture d doesn't largely believe in sin with a couple of exceptions, the big things like, you know, oppression or things, you know. That, well, that's obvious, but the rest, you know, is just, it's stuff that might be problematic. So that's the eye roll, but sometimes you get the fist pump, like, yeah, finally, pastor's finally going to preach on sin to get this person right, because they're doing a lot of sinning over there. So finally, you keep, like, shying away from it, you scaredy cat. So anyway, hopefully we'll get a slightly different, different uh, uh, take on it this morning. Um, our three beliefs about man, uh, Joshua started last week, we are sons and daughters first, sin separated us from God, we are redeemed through Jesus Christ. That's a story. That is the basic story of humanity. God created us to, to be with him, sons and daughters, we walked away and we're redeemed. That is uh, um, what we're going we're gonna to talk about that middle part today. And Jesus himself summed up this story in, in a parable. And we've preached on it many, many times. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the prodigal son again this morning. Um, but we're going to do it very, very slowly and talk about it bit by bit. So we're going to read out of the message so that we can just see this from a slightly different perspective. By the way, some people wonder about the message. Thank you very much, Pastor Janelle. <laughs> My throat's a little scratchy and I needed some tea here. Um, I, I, I love to read the message as a commentary more than anything else, not as a tr typical translation. But Peterson's a wonderful scholar and was a wonderful man of God. And so I appreciate the way that he words this. So we're going to pick it up, Luke 15, 11. Jesus said, uh, there was once a man who had two sons. That's as far as we're going to go right now. There was a man who had two sons. Notice, it did not say, there was a man who had two reprobates. There was a man who had two jerks. There was a man who had two dirty, rotten sin factories. No, that's not what he says. There was a man who had two sons. Joshua last week emphasized this. We are sons and daughters first. We're made in his image. That can be uh, uh, as parents to realize again and again throughout the lifetime of your children that they're made in your image is embarrassing sometimes. Because you will see the way they act and you see, yeah, I know exactly what you're doing because I did the same thing. Or I do the same thing. I see the way you're sulking. I know that move. I invented that move. Right? But then, then there's beautiful times and you realize they're made in, in, in your image. And it's super fun. Like last night, we're watching a, a TV show together with Emily. And, and, and something happens in the show at the very end. And she like lifts her arm like this because she called it. She said it was going to happen like four or five weeks, ago, four or five episodes ago. She said, here is what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. And then boom. And then it happened. And I was like, Ugh, yes. You know why? Because my daughter is a story nerd. She loves thinking about stories. She likes thinking about how to tell them better. She likes predicting what's going to happen. And in this way, she is my daughter 100,000%. We are nerds. She is made in my image, and I thank God for that. We are made in God's image in a similar way. There are things about him that are in us. We, you could say, have his 
DNA. And that's, that's why I bristle a little bit when, when someone can't talk about humanity without also talking about the word, without all, uh, affixing the adjective sinful. Sinful humanity. Like, it's as if this is the only thing that defines us is sin. But there's a reason, obviously, that that temptation is there because we are, in fact, infected by sin. God created us in his image, and that's a beautiful thing, but we have been infected. Luke 15, 12, 13 in the parable says this. The, young, the younger son said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. There's a lot happening in this sentence. First, note that the sons were leaving, or excuse me, were living with their father. They were obviously a wealthy family, as we'll see later. They had it, they had it good, man. Their, their father loved them. They were well provided for. And there was a promise down the road that they would inherit their father's estate. Now, this isn't something I think too many of us think about all that often nowadays, the, the concept of, of inheritance. Uh, you know, obviously that certainly still exists and, and it's a beautiful thing. But this was kind of something everybody relied on in the ancient world. Like you couldn't just like, well, if I get a good job and excel, then I can make money and build a house and all that kind of stuff. You pretty much relied on that back then. There was not nearly the opportunity to create wealth. So this father had been doing a really good job at this. He had a large estate. He, he had lots of wealth. And when he died, his kids would be totally taken care of. And in the meantime, they are totally taken care of because they're living with him. This is a good father. But the younger son, in making this request, he made a decision. He wanted his gift early. He wanted what's coming to me. What will come down there, I want now instead. Before his father died. In other words, I want your gifts for me, but I want them in a different context. I want them in my own chosen context. I want them more than I want you yourself. And I think this is a pretty vivid portrait of temptation and sin. John in, in 1 John 2 says this, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's uh, uh, just break these down. The lust of the flesh is typically associated with the desire for experience, the desire to taste, to see, to touch, to feel, to feel good. And of course, we most often think of sexual experience, although it's not limited to that. That's, that is most often the, what, what we think of here. Now, here's what we need to remember. God actually created experience. God gave us taste buds. Why? So we could experience the beauty of food. He gave his ears able to, to hear music and to hear patterns and to hear melody and harmony and rhythm and all of these things. Why? Because it's beauty. He gave his eyes to be able to take it in, right? God created sex. God created all kinds of gifts for us to have in a certain context. Sex especially gets inflated. Uh, uh, if you begin to, to be overcome with desires and you put them outside of the context which God actually designed them for. And if those things become big enough, they can actually block out the Father himself. It becomes sin. The lust of the eyes, similarly, has to do with, with wealth. 
which obviously was the younger son's hang-up. Now, it's the desire for material possessions. And of course, material possessions are not inherently bad. We need stuff, right? We need food, we need homes, we need cars, and, and we have, thankfully, a whole lot more than that. We have this computer. I would, I would live just fine without this computer, but it's a wonderful tool. I see that tip of the head, Joe the intern. I would do just fine without this computer. <laughs> but when, that, when the desire for things becomes inflated, when it, when it comes outside of the context of, of, of what God has said, in other words, like covetousness is a good example of this. If you start to desire things that are not yours, if, you're, if your desire becomes inflated, that it gets in the way of your relationships with other people and the relationship with God, it becomes sin. It becomes poisonous. It's about the pride of life. <clears throat> what does this entail? Well, I think it has to do with our power, our reputation, how people see us. How do we see other people? Is authority a bad thing? No. Is, is desire to be well thought of or respected or even, even loved by a lot of people? Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. But what about when that gets overinflated? What about when we fall in love with our own reflections? What if we start to believe our own fans? What if we, we, we embrace a spirit of entitlement that I am important enough that I deserve X and Y and Z? That is called pride. When a desire becomes inflated outside of the context that God has given us and in disproportionate ways so that it gets in the way of him. This is what sin is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see these categories over and over again throughout Scripture. We see them, for example, in the Garden of Eden. When Eve picks the fruit, said it was pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes. It was good for food, lust of the flesh. And it was desirable to make one wise, pride of life. We see it in the Canaanite pantheon, which Israel was surrounded by, uh, the worship of Baal, uh, the god of, who give good harvest, the, the worship of Ashtaroth, which was a, a fertility goddess, and, and worship of Ashtaroth always involved temple prostitution, and the, 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 the pride of life represented by, by Moloch, the, the god who demiled, d demanded child sacrifice in order to provide might to an army. This is a, a, a repeated theme throughout Scripture. And I would suggest to you, I believe our sins can be categorized into these three groupings. And I would probably think that all of us in here, if we thought about it, you probably don't have to think about it for too long, could think, oh, there's the one that, get, that gets me. <laughs> or there's the one that, that has gotten me. Uh, probably all of, all of them on some level. But usually there's one that it's like, yeah, there's, that's the one i got to be careful of. Well... For the son in the story, as we mentioned, his hang-up was clearly that first one, the desire for stuff. It dwarfed everything else to the point that he rather his father was dead. Let's pick up the story. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. Now, we must see what's happening here. This son's overinflated desire to have his wealth outside of the right context and instead of his father, all of that, it literally takes him away. Literally. I'm using that not in like the way that everybody uses literally, which is a nonsense word because it's not literal. 
his sin actually takes him away. Sin separates us from God. And this is how it works. The son chose his desires over his relationship. He moved out. Isaiah 59 and 1 and 2 says this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, you guys, sin doesn't just create a new separation. Sin is the separation. <laughs> like, you choose that and you move out. Now there's separation. And here's what I want to tell you. If you've been separated from God, it's not because God moved out. We, we left him. And this parable shows that so clearly. It's us that did the leaving. Isaiah says here, his, his, you think his arm is short somehow? That he's like, oh, he can't reach you. Or like, or, no, 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 you left. It's not him that doesn't have the ability. It's you left. And what is he supposed to do? I left. We left. That's where separation comes in. Sin is the separation. Luke 15, verse 13, let's pick it up. It wasn't long before the youngest son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all throughout the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to, the, to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. Man, here we see the devastation of sin that continues down a path. It starts small, but then it has a way of blowing up. This young man, he started out as, as what? Like an impertinent brat? A smart aleck know-it-all? Like, that's where he started, Right? But as he kept saying yes to himself, he kept giving in to temptation and, and, and every new thing that came along, yes, to move far away from my father. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose the parting lifestyle. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes and yes and yes, and pretty soon all, all's gone. Like he's, he's just left bare and half starving. And this is the devastation that happens when we separate ourselves from the father. Now, there is, I think, something that happens as sin reaches its full measure and as things hit the fan and explode and you see a trail of hurt and pain and starvation and all of this, there is a trail. When sin blows up like this, this to me is where I look and say, wait a minute, this is proof of something. This is proof that we're not the only ones in this story. You see, up until this point, we could all pretty much think, okay, this is just this, this issue has to do with us and God, the end. But it's more than that. It's more than that. God has an enemy. But so often we forget to even introduce that. And we forget about him because we're thinking, oh, it's just little temptation here or there. I can deal with this or, this or not or whatever. And, and, and we forget. Oh, yeah, God has an enemy. <laughs> I heard someone say, you know, the world, I think this was a, a theologian, uh, uh, Boyd that said, you know, the world is, it, it looks like a war zone because it is a war zone. <laughs> oh, I don't know, that would explain it. 
And it's funny, because even in, in our discussions about things like sovereignty and free will and these great things that the church has been engaged in, these conversations for years and years, you can have a discussion with people about this, and, and no one even brings up the fact that God has an enemy. Like, God's at war. Is that not part of this? God has an enemy. And to me, it's clear when sin reaches its full measure and explodes. There's something that says, dude, there, that is, there is wickedness, there is a darkness here that that is not normal. And it's sort of the inverse, I think, of, of childbirth, you know. When, you, when your kid is born, there's something that happens. And all these parents who remember this moment of seeing this child, this sticky little alien that emerges all. And you're like, ah, and there's like this flood of all different emotions. But you fall to pieces for this little weird-looking thing that just emerged, you know, and you're like, ah, and there's like so overflowing with like love and protective instinct and all of these things because there's something in, so valuable about this tiny little alien. And, and, and as, as people reflect on the birth of their children, it's really hard not to use the word miracle. You know why? Because there's a beauty and a love that's so great realize this is transcendent. This, this comes from somewhere else. And it points to God. Similarly, there's an evil that's so great that it doesn't come from this world. And when sin is left unchecked, that's where it goes. I remember hearing the story of uh, a man by the name of Malcolm Muggridge. Malcolm Muggridge is one, uh, one of my favorite writers. He was an, an Englishman in the, uh, uh, in the last century, and he was pretty much a reprobate for much of his life. He, uh, he was a reporter traveling around the world, and, and he has a fascinating story and met God very late in life. But he, there was one story of him as, as he was a journalist in India, and I think it was the 1930s. And he was there, and he had been living this extravagant lifestyle, completely puffed up on, on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I mean, he thinks he is so big and high and mighty over all these people. And uh, he was married, but his faithfulness was drifting, drifting. And finally, one day, he's outside, and he sees, he sees this river, and he sees across the river, there is this, this woman bathing. I know I've told this story before. Hang with me. He sees this woman bathing, and he decides, and she's a long way away, but he decides, you know what? Enough with the boundaries. I am, I'm going to have this woman. Do I know who she is? No. But he says to himself, I'm an Englishman, so she won't say no to me. So he dives into the river, and he starts to swim with all his might, and his pulse pounding, and he gets his goes further and further and further and finally he gets to her and he comes up out of the water for the first time and she's so surprised and taken aback and he, he stops because he sees her up close for the first time and realizes she's a leper and her features have it, it's very far along and he starts to yell out, what a lecherous woman, until he stops and realizes the truth. What a lecherous heart I have. Sin will take you further than you ever thought you would go. Now the reason I know this 
story is not because I read it in his memoir. He didn't put it in one of his memoirs. It comes in some other piece of his writing, but I actually heard it from another preacher. I heard it from Ravi Zacharias. I used to quote Ravi all the time. And he's one of my heroes. He died last May, and after he died, a string of women came forward saying, he abused me here, he abused me. At first, people were like, this can't be, and they did an investigation, and it was way worse than anybody thought. Ravi wasn't just having affairs. He had women around the world that as he traveled, he would go to them, and he would pay them and for their silence and all of these things. He left a trail, a broken trail of lives. He blew everything up. And the fallout is still happening a year later. And I think about that. I think this wasn't just like something that he just kind of stumbled into. This, this was very, very premeditated. And he had this, this pattern of behavior of hiding these things, all the while preaching the gospel more eloquently and with more beauty than I have ever heard before. And I, I think to myself, he told this story with passion. And I think, what, what happened, you know? Like, how does a person get there? And I don't think Ravi ever set out to do those things. I don't think when he was younger, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I was probably just little things. Little lines to cross. Little temptations. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Just a little bit of compromise today. And a little bit of telling myself, oh, I'm a man of God. And he told some of these women that the pressures of ministry are so great. And the manipulation that happened. And the coercion that happened. Little lines that we cross. And I look at that and I think God has an enemy to create that trail of destruction, that much heartache, those tears that all of these people have cried. God has an enemy. And when we choose to give in to these temptations, we are siding with our enemy and walking away from the Father. Now, you might say, well, okay, but sin doesn't always do that. Not every issue with, say, lust and pornography ends up there. Or not every issue with pride and self-aggrandizement ends up in, in rape. Obviously, we know that. But sin left unchecked, it's gravity. And even if it's as far as it ever goes, as some private hidden thing that a person engages in, I want to tell you that as believers, we don't have that option. We can't say, well, you know what? Jesus forgave me. And so giving in like this is, is okay. Because, friends, it's actually not. Because sin takes us away. When you choose to give in, when we choose to give in, what we're actually doing, maybe we're not going far. And, and sometimes that comparison thing actually hurts us in the end. Because we're like, well, at least I'm not doing what Ravi did. But whether you're down the, the, to another, you know, another continent or down the road, when you leave the Father's house, you're still left the Father's house. I think 
there's a lot of self-deception sometimes in the church on the basis of the salvation that we've been given through Christ to think that we're right with God and that we are permitted to practice sin. We're actually not. Back to the parable. Where is the Father this whole time? He's on the porch swing. He's waiting. He's crying. He's dreaming. He's remembering. This is the kindness of the Father. He's not holding a baseball bat. He's not holding a sledgehammer. He's not breathing fire. He is your father. He's the one who at our birth, <laughs> joy sprung up in him. He is our father. And he is such a good father that he waits and waits. You see, he's made provision for our homecoming, hasn't he? He's made provision for our homecoming. But only we can choose to come back. And sin hurts the heart of God. And we see that over and over again in Scripture. You read the book of Jeremiah sometime, and you watch when you can no longer tell the difference between Jeremiah's words and God's words, that his heart is so broken for his people. He's so moved, and we see that in the ministry and the life of Jesus. He loves his people so much. He's so moved. He waits he waits, he waits. He is a good father. And that ultimately is why sin is destructive, even if it doesn't ever progress in ways that you see a massive blow-up of a ministry like Robbie's. Because when we hurt him, that's damage enough. He aches for us, guys. Verse 17, that brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned before you. I do not deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. <sighs> this is called repentance. Repentance is not merely saying, by the way, can we, let's, we start passing communion elements out. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning around and going home. It's turning around and going home. It's a decision to return. And that's why we don't only do it when we first meet Jesus. Repentance is a practice for us as believers. God has called us to walk and reject the temptations of the enemy, and his spirit is with us to be able to reject such temptations. But if we sin, we have an advocate. We have Jesus Christ. And it's up to us to turn around because he can't make that decision for you. Notice that the father of the prodigal son did not go grab him by the ear and, pull, and haul him home. What good is it to be in relationship with someone who does not want to be in relationship with you? The Father waits. And repentance ought to be part of our practice as believers. That we say we will not trail off. And if I've blown it, 
I'm turning around and I'm walking back to you. This is part of who we are as believers because we will not walk away from our Father. That's just off the table. We don't have to have periods of sustained sin. That's not actually ever supposed to be our situation. But when we fall, when we blow it, when we fall to one of these lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, you know what? When we fall, we have a good Father. We don't have to fear Him. He's so full of compassion. We don't have to fear him. You don't have to run away in shame. You just turn and come back to him. That's all he's waiting for. We have a father full of compassion. This is our practice. I know these are being passed out here. If you've got them, just hold them in your hands. And I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, can you come and... Show us our hearts this morning. Is there an area where we've crossed lines? Lord, have we let our desires go outside the loving context that you've given them? Lord, have we stepped away from you? Thank you, Lord, for the sweet conviction of your Holy Spirit. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your compassion. Now we hold these elements. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he passed it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember what you did for us, Lord, and we will not forget it. In fact, we will keep practicing in this way so we never, ever forget what you did, what you endured for us that we could come home. Let's take it together. Before we take this, let's just ask him. Lord, would you forgive us for the lust of the flesh? Lord, would you forgive us for the times we've given in to temptation where we've objectified someone else, a brother or sister, created in your image? Lord, would you forgive us for that? Lord, would you forgive us of the time we let our eyes go to things we shouldn't have or our, our imagination go to places that you have called us not to go to? Would you forgive us for when our desires have spilled outside of the context that you've given them, Lord? Forgive us, Jesus. Lord, would you forgive us for the times we violated in the lust of the eyes? Lord, for covetousness, for desiring what someone else has. Lord, for greed. Lord, for obsession about things. 
for thinking too much about whatever those things are that it gets in the way of you. Forgive us, Lord. Show us a better way. And Lord, would you forgive us our pride? Would you forgive us for treating others like we are more valuable than they are? Would you forgive us our self-aggrandizement? Lord, would you forgive us for thinking of ourselves too much and too often? Please forgive us, Jesus. And we thank you for the blood that you shed that we could be cleansed and renewed and made whole. We will not forget, Lord. And we will not take your sacrifice for granted. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Let's take it together. Aren't you glad God doesn't wait for you with a sword? Aren't you glad he doesn't wait for you with boxing gloves on? Aren't you glad he's so full of compassion? I am. So let's make repentance a practice and a habit. Because sin really does separate us, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Christ redeems. If you need prayer for anything this morning, whether it has to do with this or anything else, we'd love to stand by you. I just want to say I love you guys. It's great to be together. Be encouraged that your dad really, really loves you even more than we do. Bless you.